Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, September 7th, 2020. Happy Labor Day to all of our listeners in the U.S. and Canada. On the show today, news and new surveys. In our main segment, Jim goes through a collection of Disneyland photos from the mid-1960s. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose favorite gender-neutral pronoun is comrade. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> If it was appropriate for Labor Day, why not? Well, you know, that there, there's labor and then there's labor. <laughs> exactly. And forced labor, but we won't get into that. It's, uh, yeah, semantics. All right, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to all of our Bandcamp subscribers. We hope you're enjoying our exclusive walks through the parks. If there's a particular land or an attraction you'd like us to do, let us know through the website. Again, DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. And thanks to new subscribers, AZN Blader. Mike K42 and Tate F and longtime subscribers Drinkot, JWG and Blood Angeles. I think that's like the apocalyptic version of LA. Yikes. Fine. Okay. Fine. That or it's uh that or it's some sort of blood orange daiquiri. That's what I'm going with. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> Jim, as interns, these folks were testing out serving lunches on roller skates at the 50s primetime cafe in Disney's Hollywood Studios. And on their first day, one of them slipped in the kitchen, causing a chain reaction that sent dozens of kids' meals into the ice cream blender, thus creating the peanut butter and jelly milkshake we all know and love. True story. I have heard much the same thing about the creations of Reese's that for the past 50 years or so, we've all been eating an industrial accident. <laughs> Tasty treater, possibly some horrible calamity in a factory. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. All right, Jim, let's do the uh, the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, I think the big news for the week mm -hmm. is that a new Disney World discount came out. This one was for residents of Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. So basically the Southeast. And it's 30% uh, off of rooms at select resorts, bookable September 4th through December 25th. So uh, along with that, four more Walt Disney World restaurants announced that they're reopening. Gaston's Tavern at the Magic Kingdom is now open. Cinderella's Royal Table opens September 24th without princesses. Uh, Hollywood and Vine opens September 25th as a uh, mini's Halloween dine meal with Remote, I guess you get, your characters will walk by mm -hmm. and take remote selfies. Mm -hmm. And then ABC Commissary at the studios opens October 8th with uh, just lunch because the park closes early. Mm -hmm. It's going to be quick service and it's going to be walk-in. So there, remember uh, last year they had started doing a table service experiment over at ABC Commissary. And I think they're ending that or they're not, uh, they're not running it for now. But taking together these things, discounts and these, uh, these restaurant openings sounds like Disney's getting ready to have more people in the resorts and the parks. What do you think? I know through my daughter, Alice, who, who has a friend who works at Cinderella Royal Table, the staff there got the word last night. We're three weeks out and, you know, they're giving the staff heads up to come in. You mentioned that if you look where these discounts are offered, it's the Southeast and those folks can drive in. Driving distance, yep. 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 Disney's kind of accepted the fact that people are still a little spooked about flying, but driving in, a, a, another thing. But I think you're right. This is definitely a step in the, you know, more people in the park situation. And you guys are keeping very close tabs on how many people are in the park each day. These, mm -hmm. And isn't there an anticipation that that number's going to step down after Labor Day, like the Tuesday going forward, or...? You'd expect that, but we're actually expecting a much busier late September and October oh. than most people are anticipating. Our like our business mm -hmm. is up over the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and that generally means that people are looking five to eight weeks, maybe you know two months out or so. You guys launched an update just during this week, didn't you? Or to the app, yeah. So we have a new version of the app out. It's uh, it's on a modern platform now. It's got you know modern gestures on the. Uh, User interface, our, our developer, Brad, did a fantastic job of uh, both designing it and then programming it. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to him for getting that out. There's uh, there's some interesting stuff we want to do with it in the future, but uh, we'll talk about that another time. Okay. 
Also, along with the restaurants reopening, uh, Disney announced that the Polynesian Resort is going to be delayed in its reopening. This is the cash side, Mm -hmm. not the DVC side, until summer 2021. And they also announced that the resort is getting a Moana theme. Jim, why, why the delay now and here? This is a Magic Kingdom monorail hotel. So this is a hotel that traditionally has had 90 and above occupancy. And the fact yep. that it's pulled out of the inventory for quote unquote, oh, we're redoing the theme. And how long ago was it that they redid the lobby, took out the water feature? A few years. Yeah. So this tells you that there isn't the demand for guests staying on property not even close to what it usually is. And the fact that they can take an entire resort out and retheme it, that's a little concerning. It is only 380 rooms. So in the overall scheme of things, it's, you know. No, I get that. Fairly shortly, the NBA thing's going to be done and all of the grand flow can come back online. And we've had the Contemporary and the Bay Lake Towers, but it's just get the fact that Normally, there is such demand for monorail hotels around the Magic Kingdom. And the fact that this one can be taken out of the inventory till summer of 2021, that's a little concerning. I'm a little bit surprised that they uh, they also announced that the monorail won't be stopping at the poly. <laughs> which, number one, the, the monorail to the park is one of the big selling points of those three resort of the Polynesian and the Grand Floridian, right? Number two, you know, it's one of those amenities that you, when you buy into DVC, which is still going to be open, Mm -hmm. that you expect there to be, you know, barring some sort of regular maintenance or whatever, Mm -hmm. but just saying, Hey, we're not, we're, you know, we're going to close it because there's not enough demand for it is different. Let's revisit this in a couple of weeks. The DVC members are not known for being shy. I imagine we'll hear their uh, their feelings on this relatively quickly. Yeah. Let's just sort of circle back and see how long the, the monorail actually... How long that lasts. Yeah. There you go. yeah. So. Speaking of hotels, Jim, uh, Marriott's Cove Hotel over by the Swan and Dolphin has a new name, and that name is the Walt Disney World Swan Reserve. <laughs> it sounds like an animal sanctuary. I'm not very sure about this name. Supposedly, I'm sure somebody in marketing, oh, oh it means it's extra special. We reserve it. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is it, it's not the same architecture as the swan. No. no. Like, I can see, like, a smaller version of the swan. Yeah, that's fine. We'll see what happens. Okay. I mean, name, names are easy enough to change. Oh, no, no, absolutely. If the Disney outlets ever open up again. It's always nice to have a name change because it means you get lots of product. That's right. They are actually opening up, I believe, end of the month. So that's, uh, so that's good. Sure. Just in time. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Derek Bergen's long national nightmare is finally over. (laughs) Exactly. All right, uh, on to listener questions. Uh, A couple for you right at the top. Mm -hmm. This first one's from uh, from Kevin. He says, uh, I recently watched the Galaxy's Edge special on Disney Plus and saw the standard Disney promotional shots. Uh, You know the ones I'm talking about, where there's one family in the foreground and another two or three in the background, as opposed to the normal day-to-day crowds where there are people everywhere. So we're all familiar with this, right? The Disney marketing stuff where... It's only you and your family in the park, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin writes, I'm curious as to how the current actual crowds compare to the promotional images. From some of your earlier podcasts about the post-COVID crowds, would you say that they're finally accurate? Yeah, so uh, there are times when you're in the park, Kevin, when you can be the the only family walking around. There was a, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was with my sister, and we happened to get be one of the very first people in the Magic Kingdom, we kind of race walked down Main Street and we did that thing where you run up the ramp of the castle and through the castle with no one else in front of you. Like it was an actual Disney commercial and we filmed it. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was pretty fun. Yeah, but there are definitely uh, there are definitely times, especially later in the day too, mm-hmm. where you get close to closing time and there are relatively few people in the park. And that's especially true if it's rained in the afternoon, oh, yeah. kind of yeah. taking some people out. So. What I love to do about the promotional videos, the images that they use to sell the parks is I pick out one person in the crowd, you know, the, the woman in the green shirt, and then see how many times I can counter in the following shots. You know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, she came in for the left. Or, oh, there she is in the background. There she is again. I've also heard that, um, that uh, Disney Cruise Line is getting ready to, or has already started filming post-reopening commercials. Oh, good. Okay. And I'm really interested to see there whether they include masks or not. Like, are there any shots of people in masks on the ships? Mm -hmm. That's going to be really interesting to say. Evidently, they have a shot list. I mean, you know how commercials are put together. 
And supposedly the shot list is exact same action, exact same pose, with mass, exact same action, exact same pose, without mass. Yep. This new campaign is going to bank both sets with the hope that mm -hmm. if there's a, you know, a viable vaccine and, you know, suddenly in December, January, we're in a different situation, we can turn the key on a variation on this campaign. That, uh, that makes complete sense. And you can get the same people to do it while, uh, while all the shots are set up. Yeah, but again, I, look for I the totally lady with the green that. shirt in the background, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Jim, here's a, here's a question uh, directed to you, and it's from a listener named Jim. How would you grade the purchase of Lucasfilm relative to Marvel and Pixar? I think that Lucasfilm has been a bit more problematic than Disney had originally anticipated. That the weird thing about Marvel that everybody thought would be problematic, and get at the effect of, well, how does that fit in, in Disney World? I mean, that just hit the ground running. And Pixar obviously was a no-brainer. You know, they'd already had this lengthy relationship. But I, I think what Disney has learned with Lucasfilm, and remember, it's only been five years. Or excuse me, no, 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 it was back 2012, wasn't it? Yeah, we've had enough time. We've had a few movies out. Yeah, yeah, it's turned out to be a little more problematic. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, there have been some obvious successes. And, you know, The Mandalorian, in fact, we, we just got the announcement yesterday that season two of that starts on October 30th. So we're just eight weeks out at this point. It's taken a little longer than Disney anticipated, and it's been a little more problematic. But it's not like, George, we still have a receipt. Will you take this back? It's like, no, that's not going to happen. And then Marvel and Pixar, both. I mean, Marvel, of course. Oh, yeah. Of course, Marvel right now in COVID is is a little challenging. And, and certainly our loss of Chadwick Boseman just this past week. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a tragedy. That was. That was. I mean, yeah, 43 years old. And again, if there's any message that anybody wants to take away from this, it's like colon cancer is no joke. Go get checked, folks. Yep, definitely. I, uh, I did my appointment yesterday. Good for you. All right, uh, Jim, uh, a new universal survey is out. And we had talked on last week's show mm -hmm. about the very detailed questions they were, they were sending out in a previous survey. And our listener, Emily, uh, sent in a new one. A, a lot of it is the, the same questions as uh, we talked about last week, but there are some new ones. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's talk about that. So the first one is, is that uh, this survey has a section that apparently uh, Universal wants to keep confidential because there's a screen that says this survey contains subject matter that's highly confidential. In order to continue with the survey, you must agree that you'll not photograph, record, store, or distribute the content you're about to see in any way or by any means. Don't share it with family and friends. Don't share it on a website, blogs, bulletin board, summary, Facebook, Twitter, or so on. Don't share, communicate, or disclose the information by any means regarding the content of the questionnaire in general. Again, folks, let me remind you, you've my, our friends from Universal. That's not how this works. Right? <laughs> I, I was about to say, though, there's a gentleman just come on my porch with a two-by-four. His name is Vinny. Should we continue? <laughs> I think if they would have added one more bullet point that says pinky promise, not to talk about this, that would have been legally binding. Vinny, but in no this pinky case, promise. All right. Sorry. Oh, all he's right. leaving the porch now. Okay. So the first set of questions is a grid of attractions. It's both for both Disney and Universal attractions and it says select all the riser attractions you've never experienced so it's raced through through new york with jimmy fallon harry potter uh, and escape from gringotts deadly do rights rips off falls star tours the adventures continue the amazing adventures of spider-man cat in the hat skull island reign of kong the simpsons ride mad tea party monsters inc left floor fast and furious supercharged one fish two fish red fish blue fish Pirates of the Caribbean, Men in Black, Kara Susel, Slinky Dog Dash, Hogwarts Express, Harry Potter, and the Forbidden Journey. So you go through and you indicate the things that you haven't done. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the next question is, based on the things that you said that you've, you've read, mm -hmm. how well do you remember each of the rides? And there are five categories. And the first one is, I know every twist and turn. I remember a lot of the experience, but not every detail. I remember some of it, and I don't remember this ride at all. So here, clearly, they're looking for memorability, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the other attractions was apparently Test Track, because I answered that I'd, that I'd read it. So you know, for things like Test Track, I, I answered that I knew you know, every turn, mm -hmm. twist and turn on it. But for things like uh, Skull Island, Reign of Kong, I mean, I remember some of the experience, but not a, not a whole lot of it. And you know, when you talk about things like One Fish, Two Fish, Red fish, blue fish. I don't, I don't remember it at all. I mean, I know I've been on it, but I don't remember how it goes at all. Mm -hmm. 
Then there's another section around simulator rides. Again, we all know that Universal lacks the space that Disney World has. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they use lots of screens and, and simulator-based rides. So the, uh, the question here was, uh, was set up like this. It says, please evaluate the attributes below and place how many points out of 100 each attribute contributes to your overall evaluation of a ride. More points indicate that you put more weight in the category when evaluating rides. You may put zero points for attributes that you don't, don't consider important when evaluating a ride. And this is for motion-based simulators. And the categories are special effects, featured characters or intellectual property, intensity, speed, immersion, length of ride, innovativeness, storyline, scenery, queue experience, and uniqueness. So for me, I put nothing on featured characters, nothing on intensity, mm-hmm. nothing on speed. I went with uh, storyline, scenery, special effects, immersion, a little bit on queue experience, and then uniqueness and scenery. Mm-hmm. So I think of, I think for the, for the important things like innovativeness, immersion, I, put, I gave it like 20 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the other categories, I gave it 10 and 5. But um, yeah, things like characters or intellectual property didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then there's a, a set of a questions that I wanted to get our listeners input on. So for this next uh, series of questions, I want our, our listeners to just sort of shout out the answers as we go through mm-hmm. it. And there's a series of these questions and, and they get harder. Considering only these four attractions, which is the attraction you would be most excited to experience and which is the attraction you would be least excited to experience? All right. So I'll give you the four attractions. Mad Tea Party. Frozen Ever After, Men in Black, Alien Attack, or Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run. So I think least, least excited to experience. I think we can all agree that's Mad Tea Party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then most excited to experience, what would you go with? It honestly depends on your age and your demographic. I mean, if I'm like a young girl, I'm going with Frozen Ever After. If, if I'm a teenage boy, Men in Black, Alien Attack, uh, and Millennium Falcon... That one for folks who haven't experienced it because it's the newest thing. All right. But yeah, I mean, I can see that answer getting split, you know, a number of different ways depending on who's answering it. That's what I thought too. I thought that that was a way to just split up the, de- the demographic. Yep. All right, here's the next question. And again, you have to say, pick which of these four you'd be most excited to experience mm-hmm. and which you'd be least excited. Ready? Okay. Rock and Roller Coaster, Dudley Do Right's Ripsaw Falls, Revenge of the Bunny, Mummy. Jurassic Park River Adventure. So I think right at the top, least excited for me is Dudley Do Rights because you get really, really wet. Mm-hmm. But for me, like rock and roller between rock and roller, and I don't think Jurassic Park is is neither the best nor the worst. Mm-hmm. So I kind of left that out. Okay. But for me, like Revenge of the Mummy versus Rock and Roller Coaster, mm-hmm. those are roughly equivalent to me. Yeah. I actually like the theming of Revenge of the Mummy a little bit better. So I, I think I picked that one. Okay. I can get behind that decision. If you think about the false ending coupled with the fire effect. Right, right. Okay, all right, here's the next four. Mm. So most excited again, least excited. Harry Potter and Escape from Gringotts, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, and Dinosaur. So for me, I'm not a huge Star Tours fan, so that was my least excited. Mm-hmm. And Dinosaur is somewhere in the middle there. It's not, it's not going to be at the top, it's not going to be the worst. But then Gringotts versus Runaway Railway. I think this is Universal trying to figure out how popular Mickey and Minnie's is. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong here. Gringotts has had some operational issues, but it's been basically a hit yeah. right out of the box. Whereas trying to get a sense of, okay, we have this brand new attraction based around Disney's most famous character. And what are we up against here? All right, so the next four, and again, least excited, most excited. The Incredible Hulk Coaster, Expedition Everest, Soren, Toy Story Mania. So you got to pick one that you're least excited about. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in this one. What's kind of interesting to me is how they break down defining these things. I mean, for example, Toy Story Mania in the eyes of, of Universal is an interactive laser firing ride, whereas yeah, right, right. Soren is a stationary simulator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's, a, it's a film with uh, picnic, seat, picnic bench seating or something like that. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that I that that's how I would have uh, would have described it, but fair enough. Okay, so anyway, you put a lot of time in on this one. How did you finish out? I don't remember what I picked for least excited. Mm-hmm. It may have been in this case, 
either Everest or Hulk, and I don't remember which one I did. And then most excited would have been probably a choice between Soren and Toy Story Mania for different reasons. Like I get I get the head-to-head comparison between the Incredible Hulk coaster and Expedition Everest because as you as you you point out and Universal pointed out in their survey, they're both described as a thrilling roller coaster, mm-hmm. right? So for me, they're, they're roughly equivalent. The Hulk coaster doesn't have the theming mm-hmm. that Expedition has, Everest has, but it's a really smooth, very good coaster for what it mm-hmm. is. Right, it's more ambitious, I think, in terms of thrills than Expedition Everest is. That's and and not for nothing, the Yeti hasn't worked in years, and that kind of takes takes it does, uh, it does. Out on yeah, yeah. So that was that was a tough mm-hmm. one. All right. So the next one is uh, speaking of head to head comparisons, uh, most excited, least excited, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor, Seven Dwarves Mine Train, Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, Despicable Me Minion Mayhem. All right, so I really don't like Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. I think it's a, it's not, it's not a great attraction. Mm-hmm. I take that back. It's not it's not the best thing that Universal does, and I don't, I'm not a really a big fan of Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor mm-hmm. either. So those were I think what my, what I chose between for least excited. But man, Seven Doors Mine Train versus Hagrid's, mm-hmm. that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean yes, obviously Hagrid has more of a thrill element than. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, but what gets people on planes, what gets people driving down to Florida is characters. And you can hang out with the Seven Dwarfs, you can hang out with Hagrid. That's a tough call. Yeah, that is. The uh, Speaking of tough calls, here's the next mm-hmm. one. So most excited, least excited, uh, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man, Rock and Roller Coaster, Cat in the Hat, and Soren. So uh, Cat in the Hat is obviously the least excited one. Mm-hmm. But most excited between uh, and rock and roller coaster for me is somewhere in the middle. Mm. So, Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man or Soren? I get the whole Disney fan thing about oh my god, the Eiffel Tower is bent. I still enjoy that ride. It's more of a poem than an attraction. It's always yeah. been very enjoyable. But on the other hand, especially after the upgrade when they went to the the high def stuff, uh, Amazing Adventures Spider-Man is still killer. But if I had to pick, I think I'd go with Soren. So I went with Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and it goes back to my original ride on mm-hmm. that, where I actually had to ride a second time with the glasses off to see how they did everything. <laughs> I was that impressed with okay. it. I thought it was it was that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the next two, uh, next three, actually, are basically Sophie's Choice mm-hmm. in in uh, in theme park form. Wow, which attraction we're putting on the train? Here we know, go. All right. All right. Most excited, least excited. Ready? Slinky Dog Dash, Big Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain. Avatar Flight of Passage. In my case, I think least excited is Big Thunder and Space Mountain just because of familiarity. These rides have been around for decades, whereas Slinky Dog Dash is new and Avatar Flight of Passage. I think it was Alicia just recently uh, over at uh, at Theme Park Stop who was talking about how she's been on that attraction forever and just now noticed the monkey that's eating fruit. (laughs) The fact that Alicia, who's in the park, it seems like every day, found brand new detail in that ride just says something about Flight of Passage. I probably would have picked Slinky Dog Dash as my least excited, only because it's the least themed of the four things. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I really like, I I think Big Thunder is actually uh, the best coaster in the, Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then Space Mountain's a classic. Avatar Flood of Passage. It's not my favorite ride, but you gotta admire the craft. And it I, you know, I would have picked I would have picked one of those three. I probably would have picked Big Thunder. I think I did actually pick Big Thunder. Okay. All right, so here's the next one. Again, most excited, least excited. Mm-hmm. Haunted Mansion, Dinosaur, Buzz Lightyear, Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run. So dinosaur for me, the least excited right off the top. I feel like after you've seen it two or three times, you've seen everything. Yeah. And Buzz Lightyear's, Buzz Lightyear's in the middle. So really, it comes down to Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. or Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to stop here in a second and just again talk about the way Universal describes these things. Uh, Haunted Mansion is a scenic carriage type ride. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there might as well be horses pulling you through that. There uh, we go. Well, isn't that the, the language the ghost host uses? Your carriage approaches. Or- yeah, it's true. Okay. Yeah, so maybe they're taking that literally. Okay. <laughs> somebody, somebody from Universal might have listened to the soundtrack without actually ever experiencing the ride. They said it was a carriage type ride. Sure, fair enough. All right. Uh, and the last one, most excited, least excited, 
It's a Small World, Haunted Mansion, Avatar, Flood of Passage, Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. Least excited for me would probably be It's a Small World. But even then, again, hmm. these are all great attractions. Yeah. yeah. It kind of gets down to how often you've seen these individual attractions. I mean, for example, I look forward to experiencing Pirates of the Caribbean just to see the red scene. But again, that's right. not how the typical guest views it. It's like, I'm going to get on this ride so I can see the brand new scene. For me, it was, uh, it was a choice between mansion and pirates. And those are rides that I would ride. I do ride them basically every time I'm mm. in the Magic Kingdom. So it's a question of which one do you like more? Mm. And again, that was, I mean, I probably spent 10 minutes of a, what, you know, what is ostensibly a very busy day for me, like thinking about which one would I be really be most excited for? Mm. And I'm assuming there that the, there's no line, you know, they could just walk onto either one. So you could walk onto either one, Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. or Avatar Flood of Passage. Yeah. <laughs> but again, the language they used to describe it, Flight of Passage is a stationary simulator. And I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, a scenic boat ride. Yeah. Ra- yeah. Okay. <laughs> like it could be a swamp boat through the Everglades <laughs> for all we know. Like. Anyway. All right. Last question. Uh, and actually says last question mm-hmm. on the uh, survey. Below is a list of rides or attractions located at Universal Orlando Resort or Walt Disney World. How excited would you be to experience each of these rides or attractions? And at the, uh, it's a five-point scale from very excited to excited to somewhat excited to not very excited or not excited at all. And the six rides that they give you are Seven Doors Mine Train, which I would be very excited to ride, Peter Pan's Flight, a scenic low-flying ride, which I would say I'd, I'd probably be excited to ride it. Uh, Soren, probably very excited. Toy Story Mania, probably very excited. Cat in the Hat, which is also like Haunted Mansion, described as a scenic carriage type ride. I would probably be not excited at all to read, mm-hmm. to, to experience that. And then the Simpsons ride, uh, a stationary simulator, I probably put excited to ride that as well. It's, I'm not a, a big fan of simulators, and this was a simulator focused uh, set of a uh, set of questions, mm-hmm. but. But I, I love the head-to-head on these, and I'd love to see the, uh, the answers. No, no, absolutely. But look at out of this entire list, you've only got one opening day attraction. The Peter Pan flight, Disneyland, July oh, right. 55, yeah, yeah. a 65-year-old attraction going head-to-head with things like Soaring or Seven Doors Mine Train. That's a good point. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was the uh, survey uh, uh, um, that we uh, got from Universal. I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to fill it out thanks very much to emily for uh, for sending it in folks if you get any of these surveys either from disney or from universal and you can capture the screens for us please send them in I, we definitely appreciate and, it and watch out for Vinny. <laughs> exactly if you need lawyers let yep. us know all right folks we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back jim talks about a collection of disneyland photos that shows how disneyland changed during the 1960s we'll be right back All right, Jim, it's not quite home movies, mm-hmm. but you recently shared with me a treasure trove of hundreds of photos from Disneyland in the 1960s, well before I think you or I even visited, in fact, before I was even born. These are not my photos. A faithful listener, Nathaniel B., was kind enough to share these. Uh, these were slides that his mom and dad took during family trips to Disneyland. In fact, there's one set that are clearly pre-New Tomorrowland, and then another set that was taken maybe a year or two after that side of the park got changed out. But in honor of Labor Day and the fact that everyone has holiday snaps, for today's show, I've selected 26, and if you want to follow along, we'll be putting these images up, and again, thank you to, to Nathaniel, up on the, the JHM uh, Twitter account. And so you can see the actual images and I, Len, are talking about. So we start out, Len, outside of the ticket books at Disneyland, and I want you to take a look at the 1960s era entrance, and to me, nothing says magic dreams and fantasy like chicken wire yeah, i was gonna say the uh, the fence here looks like something you would see at a at a state fair mm-hmm. it's simple plywood walls mm-hmm. around the ticket booth it's you know painted pipe <laughs> and chain link fence there's not a lot of ornamentation here 
at the entrance. You got to remember, Walt was just trying to get the place up and running. It was yeah. only in the 1960s, early 1960s, after he bought out all of the lessees, and Walt was finally making most of the money that was being made at Disneyland. It was going straight into Disneyland coffers. He could then focus on plussing the park that he the way he wanted. But anyway, Len, as we proceed past the chicken wire gates, photo two is uh, one of. The Big Bad Wolf greeting people in front of the Disneyland train station. And the thing that I love is the photo of one of the three little pigs next to him. And he's got his back turned to the Big Bad Wolf. And the pig is looking at a ride poster for Dumbo in Fantasyland. <laughs> like, like, hey, I really need to go, go on that thing. Yeah, that looks fantastic. I gave you that image because I wanted you to look at image number three, which is of one of the other little pigs. And remember, this is early 1960s. These these versions of the walk-around characters only came into the park in like 61, 62. And these are the, the early days, Len. Now, now you got to give him credit for the fact that if you go toggle back and forth between photo two and photo three, they have definitely different costumes for the three little pigs. But if right. you look at the green little pig, particularly at the hat, let's look at that eye slot that the cast member is looking out from. You know, that's subtle as hell, Len, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. It's basically two holes drilled into the that's, costume. That's right. Don't look in right. here, kids. Just you're concentrating on the pig who who can't hold your hand because, again, you know, we can't put the, the hands on articulated. The things that I love in these two photos, mm -hmm. in photo number two, yeah. is that the little pig dressed in red shorts is wearing i think converse sneakers <laughs> definitely not definitely not disney themed footwear there well we're just getting the joke by the way in, in photo three the, the lovely young lady standing next to the pig and green that's nathan's mom that that's really nathan's mom really yeah wow she is super young you notice what she's holding too jim a ticket book. Oh, God, that's right. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Well, and, and we'll be getting to that in a moment. This is that era in Disneyland history. Okay, so move now to our next image, and here we are. You know, we've come in under the train station, and we're trying to decide, are we going to be taking the double-decker bus or the horse-drawn carriage up Main Street? But I, I want to direct your eye to the right, Len, to the green grass, and... Do you notice what's not there? Planters? What's what's in trees? Fences. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That all of the, the grass and the areas beyond the benches and the, the sidewalks and that sort of thing have that, that right iron fence. This was the 1960s land one. When you put up, if you put up mm -hmm. a tiny set that sign that said that keep off the grass, you'd actually keep off the grass? Whereas today, you know, the Disney company has to not only put up fences, but they have to put up fences with spiky tops. So even if you decide to lean on it and sit on it, you'll be seeing your proctologist soon. It'd be uncomfortable. Yes. The other thing I noticed, too, in the uh, in the curbs, there are no ramps for wheelchairs. Oh, that is an interesting point. Okay. It is the back of the train station. Does it look like that now? Largely, yes. I mean, we do live in the age of ADA. So they had to create a way for, for guests in wheelchairs and that sort of thing to get access to the train station. In fact, they built a ramp and an elevator setup that's just to the left of City Hall. This is pretty much how it looks today, except we just recently had Project Pixie Dust happen at Disneyland, and they effectively lowered all the curves, making it that much easier for all of us to hustle to the back of the park and Wait for our boarding group for Rise of the Resistance. So Right. It does look the same, too. I'm looking at uh, like some recent photos. All right, so that part hasn't changed. Okay. All right, moving on to photo number five, and we're looking down Main Street. I want you to look mm -hmm. to your left in this photo, and, and <laughs> which company do you see has recently opened a store at Disneyland Park? It's that juggernaut of American industry, Kodak. There we go. Now, what's kind of interesting about Kodak coming into the park is remember, you know, there's a famous story about uh, Art Linkletter serving as the host of the uh, Dateline Disneyland special. So, you know, the 90-minute live opening of the park. And Walt right. didn't have any money 
to pay you to do this, and I, but I need somebody to serve as the host. And Art, being the canny businessman that he was, he's like, all right, I'll do this for free. You know, you're a friend, Walt, but I, I do want something. What Art got was for the first 10 years the park was open, he had the concession on the sale of film. This is clearly in the latter part of the, the 1960s, because as soon as the, that 10-year handshake deal was up, it's like, okay, Art, you, you've taken your last dime out of Disneyland. I'm selling this concession to Kodak. Yeah. You notice, too, that there's a um, on Main Street, there are a couple of other branded signs. One is Hallmark Cards. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, down the street by the cul-de-sac, there's a sign for Swift. I'm assuming that's Swift Meats? That it is. That it is. What, what did they sell there? They did have sauces. They did have rubs and that sort of thing. When you came into Disneyland as a sponsor uh, or as a lessee, you were there to make some money, but you were also there to be in the public eye and to also take advantage of your association with Disney. Also, uh, did you notice on the very far right side of this particular picture, it has a banner that says Disneyland 65. Well, there we go. So we, we know the specific year in this one. Also, it's 5.15 p.m. on the <laughs> clock on Main Street. So we know the, we know the time at which the photo was Okay, taken so Eagle Eye Testa has come through again. <laughs> I ran this through a few levels of uh, uh, filters and enhancements to make sure that it, uh, it looked good. I would expect no less. Okay, moving to our next image. Obviously, this is the Plaza Inn at Disneyland Park. We see it as it's completed in its lovely state, but if we move to the very next image, Lynn. Hold, please, before we before we do this, let me just mm-hmm. say, uh, notice the baby stroller on the left. I would pay good money <laughs> for that style of mid-century modern baby stroller oh. again. Also, notice... Notice the woman in pink mm-hmm. who is wearing heels uh, in Disneyland. Yeah. She's a better man than I am because I would never I would never be able to wear those shoes. The 1960s was that time, Len. Yeah. Sacrificed right. comfort for fashion. But anyway, as we move to our next image. Oh, I see the next image. Yeah. This is the Matterhorn. Now, this is when the Red Wagon Inn, Swift Meats, sponsored this restaurant in the parks. But once that lease was up, Walt actually sent John Hench off to restaurant school to learn about, well, what would a modern restaurant need? And Mm -hmm. then he came back, redesigned uh, the Red Wagon Inn. So you're looking at that being gutted. In fact, you can see the piles of pavers that are going to be put down in the ground to put in the new sidewalk and such. All right. So pause here for one second. So we're at the the end of Main Street towards the castle. We've turned to our right and we're facing what is now the entrance to Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what we've got here is a bunch of, is, is basically a, a dirt road. Yep. And we can see the Matterhorn in the distance. And also the home of the future in the That's distance. That's right. And not only that, in front of the home of the future, we have the Court of Flags, which used to be, you know, the entrance to to Tomorrowland. So again, got to be from the six. Really? Yep. So it's the 65 set of photos here that we're looking at because again, we don't get our Tomorrowland world on the move till 67. So I, did, I didn't know this was the setup for the entrance for Tomorrowland mm-hmm. in Disneyland in 65. So the, how, the home of the future was that close to the entrance. God, Tomorrowland. Yeah. Well, again, you got up to the hub and the home of the future, you know, was literally within 100, 150 feet of the castle, if that. Oh, okay. All right. This is Walt Disney personal preference. Notice how low the construction walls are, Lynn. In fact, one of the reasons we have this photo is that the construction fences at Disneyland during this area basically went up to your waist. Yeah, as you say, they're about waist high. You can see the ones in, um, in Tomorrowland. So Walt wanted people to see that he was building new things. Absolutely. In was. fact, he loved to put up a sign that said to the effect of "Site of future sites. <laughs> he wanted you to go home and go, oh, I was at Disneyland and they're building this brand new ride and I can't wait to see it. So This is a great photo because I've never seen this setup for Tomorrowland. So this is really, really interesting. Now, again, you were asking about the placement of the, the House of the Future. So I'm giving you a reverse angle here on our next shot. So you can see... Oh. House of the Future is dead center. You've got your court of flags just behind it. And then immediately behind that, you can see the restaurant we were just talking about, the Red Wagon Inn being transformed into the Plaza Inn. So where where would this photo must have been taken on the Matterhorn? 
in our, our very next shot, you'll get to see folks on the Skyway or passing, you know, through the Matterhorn on a, the Skyway. Hold on, I have a couple of questions. So going back to uh, to photo seven or eight, the the one with um, Home of the Future in the middle and then the quarter flags behind yep. it. There's a wooden building under construction to the left yes. of the quarter flags. What is that? This, I believe, is a gift stand that was built on the plaza or just on the edge of the plaza it's got a tournament tent style so we're on what's considered the outermost edge of fantasy land at this point in fact if the, the image continued to the left you begin to see the matterhorn uh, looming up over the park but again you're on the skyway when you're taking this shot oh uh, okay okay all right got it if you look up over the house of the future center left midpoint you see a, a mm-hmm. large building with a door open. Yep. That is the old mill at Disneyland. This is the wood shop where everything was built and then hauled into the park. This eventually is where the Main Street Opera House and Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was set up. I was going to say, yeah, it looked like an airplane hangar from where, mm-hmm. we, where we are. 65, we're just on the, the outermost edge of Lincoln coming into the park. He debuted at uh, the 64 World's Fair, came into Disneyland the summer of 65, and then that fall, the original in New York closed. The other thing I love about this photo from this vantage Mm. point is that you can see there are no other tall buildings oh, no. in Anaheim no. around no. around there. But yeah. on the other hand, you can definitely see that set of high-tension wires that went over the parking lot. <laughs> okay, true. so now it's we move true. to our, our next image. We have a blue monorail parked in the station. And again, I want to congratulate Nathan. He did so much great detective work here. If you look at the top of the monorail station sign, you see it's the Disneyland Alweg monorail system. But if you look to either side of that sign, Len, <laughs> the Santa Fe Railroad, there right? we go. They wanted to be part of this new project. Likewise, if you look up just above the monorail to your left, you see there's a banner. Just zooming in on it, trying to figure out what it mm-hmm. says. General Dynamics. Those are the fo- oh, folks okay. who sponsored the submarine voyage so you know of course makes perfect sense because again right below the monorail we have the the place where you're supposed to queue up for the submarine voyage but just behind that it's the flagpole holding the general dynamics banner it's the old school sky bucket which (laughs) frankly right yeah it looks like a lantern on uh oh yeah (laughs) that looks safe yeah i was about to say it's like wow made out of genuine corroded metal it looks like it looks like a copper pot with it uh, attached to a lid with some copper piping and then swung along uh, you know, 50 feet above Disneyland. It does not look No, safe. no, no. It does not. So, okay. So, the other thing I love about these photos, look how fancy, how well-dressed everyone is. I mean, women in skirts and heels, men in dress shirts and uh, dress pants. I want to say this was the first image that, that Nathaniel sent me. And I, when I wrote back to him and said, I'm looking just based on the haircuts, this is 6465. Got to be. That distinctive look, of the, you know, of, particularly in the young boys, of the, the buzz cut. It's like, oh, yeah, we're well before the Beatles arrive or, or somewhere in that, that window. Yeah. Well, all right. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next image. We were talking about the Matterhorn, so I wanted to give you a shot of it. And it's this would be roughly five or six years after the attraction opened. But... But if we we blip on, in the middle distance, we have the Mad Tea Party in its original location. It's directly across from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride rather than actually down by Alice. And there's no uh, covering. There's no canvas, no tarp. Well, now now remember, in California, the theory is it never rains. Anyway, we, we move to our next shot now, Len, and we're looking down again from the Skyway on what is now the storybook canal boats. But you asked about the ticket books earlier on. And if you look in the lower left-hand corner of of this image, you see the lighthouse that still stands there today in front of uh, storybook canal boats. But you can also see the people who have queued up to use this structure for what it was originally intended for, and that's to buy tickets 
These are folks in the park who clearly run through the ticket book they bought on the way in. And it's like, oh, you know, you want to go oh. on some. Oh, so the uh, so the Lighthouse by Storybook yep. Land is a ticket mm-hmm. booth. Yep. I think you, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, there's a few people in line for that, too. I want to also direct your attention to the upper left-hand corner of the photo to what you don't see and that small world. Because it didn't exist yet. Yeah. Construction has only just begun. We'll get to that in a minute. Moving to our next image now, we're looking at the Chicken of the Sea, which was the Captain Hook's Jolly Roger boat, which Mm -hmm. was the first attraction slash restaurant. So long before Be Our Guest. Moving on again now. Okay, so we're now uh, looking at Cinderella's Castle in Storybook Land, but looking also at the track of Casey uh, Jr. Uh, circus Train. Wait, this is a... Uh, I'm sorry. It's Cinderella Castle, which is not the big castle nope. in Disneyland nope. on Main nope. Street. Yep. Okay. This is Sleeping Beauty you know, okay, the teeny go. tiny version of... In fact, uh, normally you're able to see the pumpkin coach on the road uh, leading up to the castle. But I want to direct your attention to the gap in the trees there. And, to the right? Yeah, and the construction you can see just off in the distance. And there, finally, is Small World rising up oh. on the outermost edge of Fantasyland. So, again, we have a shot of the most photographed place in the United States, or so say the folks at Kodak, and that Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland Park. And it held that title till 71 when uh, Disney World opened up and Cinderella Castle opened at that park's Magic Kingdom. The reason I included this image is I wanted to compare it, Len, to the next image in the pile. Okay. This is Walt Disney's version of a construction fence. You know, he understood that people who were coming to Disneyland Park wanted to get pictures of Sleeping Beauty Castle and that they would obviously be disappointed if they weren't able to get shots while they were in the park. So once again, we have our waist-high construction fence. So you can walk right up to it and get your shot. That's right. You can you can photo yep. it. You can walk up to it and there'd be no bears. Wow, so that's different. Yeah, yeah. And it, clearly they're working on it. The banners are down and you can see what looks like a you know a generator off to the side there. Right. So clearly this is the uh, photo 15 and photo 16 were taken at two different times. Yeah, we're kind of actually grateful to... Nathaniel's family for for sending these two different trips from the 1960s. All right, uh, moving on to our next image here, we have the Mark Twain uh, making its way around the rivers of America. I want you to look past the Mark Twain to the original mountain in Frontierland, Len, uh, Cascade Peak. Yeah, I was going to say this does not ring any bells. Yeah, this was actually built as part of the expansion of the Mine Train Suit Nature's Wonderland. This one had the dual set of waterfalls, which, based on the very 1960s narration for this attraction, you know, that those are the twin sisters, and we call them the twin sisters because they're always babbling. So it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that would go over so well today, Len. Yeah, probably not, no. But again, you heard that narration as we moved to the next photo on the actual mine train that goes through the attraction. And so, you know, we're looking at that actually going around the base of Cascade Peak. If there's if there was one attraction in Disneyland that I feel bad about missing out mm-hmm. on, it's the mine train through Nature's Wonderland. It was pretty spectacular. I only got to ride it the, yeah. the once. Uh, you know, my family uh, traveled cross country, and I want to say in July of 1970. But... I, I want to direct your attention to the car, Len. Like, you know, they, they, we, we can see the train with the cast member driving it, but then behind the, you know, what would have been the coal caddy, uh, we have a, a train car full of, of folks experiencing the attraction. And this was the part that made Mark Davis crazy. Why? Well, uh, look at the way they're seated. Oh, they're seated. They're facing inward. They're facing inward. All right. Oh, yeah, you're right. And here was Mark. You know, he was brought in kind of after the attraction opened to, you know, we need to make this entertaining. We need to to add more stuff to it. And he's like, well, I can do all of that stuff, but the audience is facing in the wrong direction. And he was very insistent going forward on all the rides he worked on. It's like. Look, we have to control folks' view. We we need them facing forward. Yeah. Well, that's that's really not a great design. I wonder how that that ended up getting. Well, built. again, you know, the mine train uh, was one of the the earliest attractions of the park, and and remember, you know, in a lot of ways, Walt learned as he went. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. 
In fact, moving to the next image, one of the lessons that you know Walt learned the hard way was that you know when you have giant boats on your your rivers of America, you actually need a dock you can bring them into to you right. know where they can be you know worked on and fixed. So you know, looking in this image, we have the Columbia parked in <laughs> what Walt less than enthusiastically called Joe's Ditch. But, you know, by within official Disney parlance was known as, you know, a Farler Harbor, as in, you know, Joe Fowler, the, the, the gentleman who Walt drafted to turn an orange grove into a theme park. Sure. But, but what I want to point out here in the foreground on your right side, Len, we have. Oh, dear God. Let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is the most unthemed, rustic looking Tom Sawyer Island photo I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like they built the water wheel mm -hmm. and the water wheel house and literally left everything else the way they found it uh, on this stretch of there's no there's minimal minimal landscaping it's basically weeds well there's no no theming on it wow look at that if you look at toward the bottom of the photo where the the, the mill comes down into the river that's where the staging was built for phantasmic that's where you right. have your, your yeah. elevator to put and Murphy the dragon, you know, push him up out of the ground. But the other thing I, I find particularly amusing, Len, is if you look sort of center uh, left on the, on the bottom, you see one, two, three, four rocks sticking up out of the water. Right. Uh, why, were, why were those there? Those, those were not put there, there so the folks who were in the Indian war canoes, it's like, do not go closer to the island than this. Ah, okay. All right. I figured there were some sort of guides, but I didn't know Yeah, because remember, the Columbia, the Mark Twain are all on sort of a rail system, so to speak. But the uh, there's a Mike Fink keelboat No, no, here. no. Free-floating. Free-floating. Um, Free-floating, you know, exactly. The same thing with the raft that took you over to Mark Twain. Now, again, right. you know, when you're going around the river, even today, as we move to the next image, we have our uh, Indian village with kind of minimatronic figures, you know, that, that only do a certain amount of movement. Back in the day, this was one of two Indian villages. And in fact, if we move to the oh. next image, this is the actual, really for real, Indian village at Disneyland where you could go and watch Native Americans uh, doing dances, making crafts. Yeah, there are people. There are people walking around here. Like yes, guests. that's it exactly. But what you're looking at, this is where basically Splash Mountain is today. You, you know, the, you walked wow. you know this far up into the woods and found this village. And again, you the, this photo was taken from the Mark Twain on the upper deck looking down at the village. And in fact, I want to direct your attention to the lower left part of the image because that's where that's folks lining up to, you know, you can actually see the ticket booth. It, it looks like a, it looks like an outhouse, but okay, go ahead. This is where you actually got online to get on the war canoes and to, to go around the rivers. Of oh, oh so, so the water's in the foreground. We just don't see it. It's, it's, it's right below that's it exactly. where the image cuts off. Okay. okay. So, Moving to our next image, so of course we have oof, our famous burning cabin scene. It kind of a rare sight in modern day. We have our dead settler. Wow! Out in front of the burning cabin. Now, let if you can zoom in. Please note that sticking out of the chest is an, is arrow. an arrow. All right. There were so many years where Disney was trying. You know, realize, well, maybe it's a little dark, <laughs> you know. So now, though, Len, the question is, okay, now, wait a minute. We just passed friendly Indians. They took, they were selling us crafts and they were demonstrating dances. Surely they couldn't have done this. Well, who did? Um, so we move to the next image, Len. So we all know the chief on horseback. Uh, we see him in this image down by the water's edge. But take a gander up on the top of the hillside, you know, up by the berm. You ever seen these guys before, Len? I have never seen these Indians in, a, in another photo of Disneyland. Mm -hmm. This is the war party. The story that was told on the Mark Twain during this period, you know, the effect of first we saw the, the, the gentleman, you know, dead in his yard with an arrow in his chest. And it's the good news is the captain has brokered 
get a temporary peace with the Indians in this part of the woods. And so, you know, okay. that's, and, you know, the captain would make this very big deal as they were driving the Mark Twain. Or, you know, you could see him sort of raise his hand in much the same way as the Indian chief figure does down by the water. But they'd mentioned to the effect of, you know, we brokered this temporary peace, but you know, let's just hope those redskins up on the hill there, you know, behave themselves. Oh, so a couple of things here. There's a, there's about nine uh, figures mm-hmm on on the hillside and the hill actually goes up quite a ways it does if you look kind of the middle distance of the photo here len that's where the train actually goes through Oh, I see the train track on the uh, on the uh, right in the, yeah, in the middle of the. Uh, okay, so that's and, what that is. And so the idea is that when you're on the train, you actually look up the hillside and see the war party, and it's just sort of like, yeah. yeah. They were there for a couple of years until they weren't, and I, I think they disappeared about the same time that the arrow was taken out of the chest of the the settler and then put a bottle of moonshine in the crook of his elbow. So the idea was that. He wasn't dead. He'd passed he was out. passed out, okay. and he had accidentally burned down his own house. But again, this was Disney sure. creeping toward politically correct. And this was during a, a, a more gruesome era in Disneyland, which brings us to our next shot, Len. That is these are, jungle cruise. These are bears? No, those jungle are cruise. lions, Len. And that 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 if you look oh. if you look at these two images, you have a male lion with a, a sizable haunter zebra hanging out of his mouth. And if you look next to him, right. there's a lioness and she is it got the tail of the zebra <laughs> in her mouth. This is jungle cruise. I didn't recognize it because it's the landscaping is so relatively sparse. Yep. Compared to what we have now. Wow. Now, if we continue on to the left here, this is after the Lost Safari has been installed. We also, if we we went back to the right, we had the imagery that we have today of the sort of the rest of the Savannah looking on and being happy that they're not a zebra. If you go into that great pile of Disneyland photos that have just become available uh, to the company mm-hmm. through the acquisition of National Geographic, there's this wonderful shot of Walt standing like two feet away from the lion with the zebra conch hanging out of it. And he looks so happy. They've just <laughs> hey, look what we did. Know, just just installed the scene, and you know we've upgraded it. And but they got so many nasty complaints from guests about you know I I didn't bring my child here to look at zebra haunches. So we actually got that scene restaged, and and the scene that we have today where. You have the the entire you know family of lions sort of in a, a natural cave set up, and there's a zebra carcass in front of them, but decidedly blood for it's sleeping. Yes, there we go. The sleeping. They're, they're it, watching. It, over. It's all in. It's all intact. There we yeah, go. The, the zebra's all in so, one piece. I'm just I'm just amazed at this landscaping. I've, this is ten years after the park opened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other than the water in the mm-hmm. front. It, it looks like it's desert. We're 10 years in here at this point. So this is Morgan Bill Evans, the, the gentleman who handled all of the landscaping. In a weird way, if you, you're talking about how it, it looks oddly sparse, they had literally just redone this to include the Lost Safari. Uh, and this you know, created this giant panorama. But uh, again, learned the hard way that people don't come to Disneyland to see zebra haunches. So moving to our, our final couple of photos here. What people do do when they come to Disneyland is they expect entertainment. They, they look forward to parades and that sort of thing. And one of the ways that, that Disney kept up attendance during particularly the, the off-season is they do seasonal festivals. And what, what we're looking at here with this photo is the Mexico Festival at Disneyland. This is a local oh. dance troupe from Southern California that came out to do their dance routine in the street. And I want to direct your, your attention to at center of the photo, a uh, gentleman standing on the sidewalk with the walkie-talkie. I couldn't tell whether it was a walkie-talkie or a transistor radio. It, given the way he's dressed, he's dressed better than, you know, at the other people there who were there to have fun that day. So this is your... Yeah. He's in a he's in a blazer, dress pants, dress that, shoes. Tie. That's exactly this. This is this is somebody from Disneyland's entertainment office. You know, okay. So the kids are in the street; they're dancing. So as you know, we move to the next image. Okay, so release the characters. So you know, here's Mickey. <laughs> 
coming up the street, you know, with a, a comically tall sombrero and wearing a serapi. And as we go to our, our final image, uh, we have Pluto proudly strutting up the street, also wearing his comically high sombrero. And just, just look at these folks on the sidewalk. And oh, I love the glasses. I'm going to say that this was the late 60s, because the image we had of the folks at the Plaza Inn, and you mentioned the woman in the high heels and, you know, the, the, the nice dresses and that sort of thing. Whereas yeah. you look at the, the, the clothes that folks are wearing now, it's kind of the brighter colors that we saw in, in the late 60s, and it's a little bit more casual. Yeah, also, uh, none of the none of the kids or the none of the men have, or none of the boys or the men have buzz cuts like they there did we in go. the... 1960s, yeah. So these are everyone here is longer yeah. here. So wow, these are fantastic photos. Thank you again so much to Nathaniel and Nathaniel's mom and dad for sharing this stuff with us. Because again, it was just fascinating to see how many small and yet sometimes big ways uh, visiting Disneyland was was different in the 60s. And, and as we were just talking about between that Indian War party and the guy with the arrow in his oh. chest and and, and the, the, the lion with the mouthful of zebra, it's just sort of like, you know, there's no wonder that our parents, you know, drank heavily or, or were in therapy for a very long time. I was going to say, I've, I've never seen probably half the things on this uh, that, that are in these uh, photos. You're going to put them up on, uh, on Twitter, you said? Nancy and I will start loading them up on Sunday night. So when folks... I'll go to download this podcast uh, as a Labor Day treat. Uh, they'll have these to look at. Fantastic. And, and we have uh, hundreds more. Of these, we right? do. We do. And God help us. We'll, we'll get around to them in the future. I just have to burrow through them and then talk with Nathaniel about, well, all right, what am I looking at here? <laughs> exactly. Well, these are fantastic. Uh, so thanks for going through them, Jim. And uh, thanks to Nathaniel for, uh, for sending them in. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, Jim talks about the introduction of Disney princesses into the parks. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. And we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be doing a virtual sea otter and whale sighting cruise as part of this year's Sitka Whale Fest, November 5th through the 8th, normally in beautiful downtown Sitka, Alaska, but online this year at Sitka Whale Fest. Org. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.